Now, of course, uh, like we've already hinted at, Christmas is a time of a lot of different feelings, a lot of different emotions. And so why don't we take a moment to kind of get in touch with where we are right now with this Christmas season and take a moment to turn to your neighbor and just share really quickly, what are some of the emotions right now that you carry as it relates to Christmas? How are you feeling right now about this season? You excited? You stressed out? You upset? Let's take about two minutes, turn to your neighbor, and let's take a moment to debrief and touch base. How many, I'm curious, uh, how many of us are struggling with some financial dilemmas and questions this Christmas season, right? How many of us are, are dealing with some of these issues? Yeah, so definitely, uh, there's some of us here in this room dealing with that, yeah. Anybody else? Maybe one more thought or feeling associated uh, with Christmas right now for you. Spoken like a true undergraduate student. Yes, Christmas means exams, which means stress. That's, that's challenging. I think, Rutgers, you guys go up to the 23rd this year? Oh, man. Wow. wow. I'm glad I'm not a student anymore. That's, I'm sorry about that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And those of you who are administ- you know, professors or grad students, yeah, you're grading, teachers are grading. Yeah, that's, that doesn't sound too fun. Well, you know, Christmas, um, I think, thank you for sharing all, all, all of your thoughts and feelings uh, with your table partners and out loud. You know, Christmas, obviously, like we've already mentioned, is a multi-layered sort of holiday. There are a lot of different layers of how we think and feel about the holiday, and, and for a lot of different reasons. Some are good reasons, some are maybe not as good reasons why we feel certain ways about certain things. As we continue to take a look at the first Christmas story, uh, the first story about Jesus' birth in our world, um, much like we did last week, I believe as we take a look at this first story, there are certain layers of emotions and feelings that we often don't think about. And as a result, we do miss out on the beauty and the meaning of Christmas. It's so important for us, I think, to get together and think about these things during this season because as we continue to look at this first story, this first Christmas, there is something for all of us here to be had, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what we're going through right now, regardless of if we're rich or poor, or if we have a functional family or dysfunctional family, there's something here for all of us that I think will ultimately lead us to something good and meaningful and joyful in this season. Last week, we took a look at the Christmas story from the biographer Luke and his perspective. Today, we're going to look at the other biographer of Jesus' life that mentions this Christmas story. And this biographer is by the name of Matthew. In the scriptures of Jesus, his birth is talked about in two places, in in these two biographies. And so today, we're going to take a look at Matthew's. If you can, take a look at your tables here, or at the sheets on your table. We have Matthew's biography, uh, his first chapter, uh, printed out for us. And what I find really fascinating about his biography, as he begins to talk about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus into our world, he begins with a genealogy, a genealogy. Now, take a look at it. It's on your, on, you know, on your table. And uh, let's just be honest. For most of us, when we look at a genealogy, a list of names like this, it doesn't look very inspiring. It doesn't look very, you know, meaningful. It doesn't look like it can give us much. But 
I think there's something here for us to think about. Now, before I jump into it, first of all, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy, okay? Because it's just a list of names. You can look at the list of names yourself and read through it. But first of all, I want to take a note of why we have genealogies in the first place. Think about your life real quick. What defines your life right now? You could say your job. You could say uh, what you do. But when all is said and done, I think what defines much of our life is where we're from and who we come from. The location of where we were born or where we grew up and the people we were associated with, our immediate family, the community that raised us, where we're from, both in terms of place and people, have a lot to say about who we are and who we become, doesn't it? And so it isn't too surprising then that as we get to this biography of Jesus, in order for us to really know Jesus, a biographer would start out with, well, this is where the guy's from. This is who his family is. This is the city he grew up in. And knowing this will actually help us know who Jesus is. And so this biography starts off then with this genealogy. And notice how it starts off. The genealogy starts off. Look at the very first sentence. It says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now let's just take a pause there really quickly. The son of David, the son of Abraham. It's interesting that the genealogy starts off with these two names because these two names are not the most immediate relatives of Jesus. David is not his father, and Abraham is not his father. They're not even his grandfather. These are, these are people in his genealogies hundreds of years before Jesus' life. And so why would you start a genealogy with these names? Well, it turns out that Jesus is related to these two individuals who happen to be the most important historical figures for the Jewish people of the time. Jesus, if you remember, came into the world some 2,000 years ago in a Jewish culture, and he was related to David, their most important king in their history, and Abraham, their forefather, their, their, their founding father as a people group. Both these people, their founding father and their king, had promises associated with them that one day one of their descendants would come and save the world from its decay and destruction. And so right away, our biographer is getting us in touch with this reality that Jesus is tied into these two amazing figures in their history. But here's the deal. It sounds really good right now, right? It sounds like, oh, this is good. Jesus must be a really great person. He's of noble heritage and all these things. And if the story just kind of went on from there, it, we'd have no problems, right? But here's the deal. The genealogy, as you can tell, decides to list out a bunch of names. And just like any family, the more you dig, the messier it gets. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, uh, you, know, you can introduce yourself, right, at a Christmas party, perhaps, and you're like, oh, who are you? Where are you from? Oh, yeah, I'm related to. And then you decide to say, like, the two most famous people you're ever related to, right? Like, let's say you're related to, I don't know, Beyonce. Anybody related to Beyonce? Okay, I didn't think so. That's why I'm using Beyonce. So let's just say you're related to Beyonce, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, at a Christmas party, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm related to Beyonce. That's cool. That's great. And, you know, you're kind of the talk of the party, right? But truth be told, if you were to kind of get into your family tree a little bit more, it'd be a little embarrassing, perhaps even a little messy, 
And so what the biographer does, the biographer of Matthew decides to say, yeah, you know what? I could just stop here and make it seem like Jesus is this great person, but I'm going to get into the details, and guess what? The details are going to be pretty messy, and this is why he's going to get in the details. He, he wants to get in these details because he wants us to know that Jesus is really wanting to be a part of the mess of our lives, the mess of humanity, the mess of real life. Let's take a look at just two of these names, okay? Again, this is a long list of names that we're not going to have a whole lot of time to go through, but I want to focus on two names just to give you an example. In the third sentence, number three, we note that Jesus is related to, know what it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay? You don't know any of these people, but I want to highlight this person, Tamar. This person, Tamar, is very interesting. Her story is recorded in Jesus' scriptures in a book called Genesis, chapter 38. And in this story, we read this about Tamar from, from this book of Genesis. Let's take a look at the screens here. This is an excerpt from Genesis uh, 38. Can we get to the next screen? Okay, check this out. This is, this is probably about 1,500 years before Jesus comes. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Tamar to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enneam. Keep going. Next slide. When Judah... Judah's mentioned here, saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. Judah and Tamar, this is them. Now, there's a lot of actually important backstory to understand why Tamar did this. Tamar was actually very noble here, believe it or not. And she was noble because her father-in-law was withholding a son from her. And he was supposed to give her one of his sons so she could carry the family line in a specific way, in an honorable way to her deceased husband, okay? This is like Jewish culture, Jewish thought. It's very different from ours. But the way she decides to do this is very fascinating, right? She dresses up as a prostitute so her father-in-law will sleep with her. Now, let's, let's just think about this, okay? Jesus is saying, yeah, this is, this is my family. I'm coming into this world, and I have no problem saying, this is my family, I'm going to be associated with these people, and this is what I'm about. I'm about coming and being a part of real life, real world situations. Now, there's another name here. These are all fascinating stories, but I want you to direct your attention to verse 10. Number 10. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh. Let's take a look at that name Manasseh. Manasseh 
it turns out, was a king in the long line of Jewish kings. And this is the brief excerpt we get about Manasseh found in the book of 2 Kings. Let's take a look at the next slide. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. So we got a little preteen person becoming king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. And then notice what it says. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He erected altars to Baal and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. And then the next slide. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh led them, the Israelites, astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Now, again, this is written some thousands of years ago uh, from our time, hundreds of years before Jesus came. We're talking about a day and age where people were trying to worship God, the unseen true God. And this God had given them very clear commands. Don't create any images of what I'm supposed to be like. Don't worship creation, what you see, because I'm the creator, so worship me, but not the creation. And don't consult, you know, spiritists, mediums, all those things, because, you know, I'm the true God. Consult me. You can come to me directly. You don't need to talk to, like, witches or omens and all these things, like, just come to me. And yet, these people constantly turn from that desire of God. And we see that Manasseh was one of the worst offenders in that way. And yet, again, look right here. Jesus is saying, yeah, this is, this is who I'll associate with. This is who I'll come and be with. This is my family line. I have no problem coming into the mess of this world and being associated with people that we read about right here. I wonder how you think about Jesus today. I wonder when you think about God and think about Jesus, I wonder how you think about him. Do you feel like he's distant? Perhaps too good to be a part of your life or my life? Do you realize that he isn't that distant, actually, and that he wants to be in our midst? He wants to be in our mess? Now, of course, the story continues. And if you flip over to this backside, after this biographer begins to tell us about Jesus and this reality that Jesus has no problem being associated with the mess in our world, he, he's like, yeah, this is my family. It is. I'm going to be associated with them. It's like your crazy uncle, your crazy grandma, whatever it is. Like, I'm going to be associated with them, no problem. But then we get to this birth story. And we realize that while Jesus has no problem being associated with this, he doesn't want to stay there. And he doesn't want us to stay there either in the mess. He actually wants to get us out. Notice how this birth story goes. And, and you know this story if you're familiar with the Christmas story. But let me just read it for us, and I want to highlight one sentence in this story. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant 
through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, there are a lot of details here that are really fascinating with the, the birth story of Jesus. Um, we're not going to get into all the details, but one thing that's very important is that the naming of Jesus happens in this story. And this is really important for our biographer, Matthew, because remember, he starts the story with a genealogy, which is all about names. And then he gets to this first story, and he's like, well, I need to tell you then how Jesus gets his name, okay? Because that's what he's into, genealogies, names, all these things. But specifically, notice in the third paragraph how he describes the name of Jesus. He says Jesus, he's giving them the name Jesus because he will save them from their sins. Now, Jesus' name actually just means he will save, okay? And so in many ways, he could have just stopped there and said, well, the name means he will save. And for a Jewish person of the time, if they heard that name, that would be good enough, actually, because the Jewish people felt like they had a lot of things they needed saving from. They were a politically, militarily oppressed people group, and the politics all around them, the economy, all these things had them pushed down. And they were actually hopeful and looking for a savior to save them from their mess. It's kind of like today, and I hate to, hate to say it, but a lot of us feel like politics weighs down heavily on us. The economy weighs down heavily on us. I mean, you're either thinking our Congress is terrible for doing an impeachment thing, or you think our president is terrible for doing things to get them impeached, right? The global economy is weighing down on us. The local economy is weighing down on us. And we look at what we're surrounded by and we're thinking, God, save us. Just save us from this mess. Please, this is messy. This is terrible. We hate this. The Jewish people felt that in a very real and versatile way. And in fact, many of the prophets that were speaking during that time, many of the, the religious thinkers and political thinkers were all saying, we need a Messiah figure to save us. But it's interesting that the author doesn't just say his name means Jesus will save. He continues and fills it in with Jesus will save us from our sins. And this gets really interesting because all of a sudden, the Jewish people of this time were forced to confront something that I think we're forced to confront too. You know, it's so easy when we're in the mess of our lives to think that our mess comes from somewhere else other than ourselves. We think it's our family lineage, right? We think it's that crazy grandma, great grandpa who did this and that, and that's why my family's so messed up. That, that is 
That could definitely be true. Let me just say that. Or we think it's the politics that's messing up with our lives or the economy that's messing up with our lives. And that's true, too. That can be very, very true. But our biographer here, in fact, the angel of God, wants us to understand that while Jesus will save us from all the stuff outside of us, there's something in us called sin that we need to get saved from too. Jesus will later on describe to us what sin is. Sin at its very basic level is us saying thanks to God but no thanks and just running life our own way, saying, God, we know you're there. We kind of believe you're there. You might have some good ideas for our life, but no, we'll just do it, our, we'll do it ourselves. We'll take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. And that, according to Jesus, is a big problem. It leads us down a path that ultimately is destructive, ultimately is hopeless, ultimately will take us away from all that's good. Jesus is trying to save us from that thing called sin. I wonder how we're feeling again about this Christmas season. I wonder with all the feelings that we feel, if we are feeling like, man, if only my family got it together, this would be so much better. If only Congress or the president would act up and do the right thing, this holiday season would be so much better. If only the economy would work a certain way. Again, those are really important. I don't want to minimize that. Jesus came in the midst of that to affirm that, yeah, this life is complicated, it's crazy, but Jesus does want to get us out, and he's going to start getting us out by working on this thing called sin. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just for the next two minutes process some of these ideas. Do you agree with this? Do you disagree? How, how is this landing for you here this morning? Take about two minutes to talk about this with your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's absolutely this, this, this um, reality, right, that Jesus has no problem saying, this is, this is, this is what I'm going to associate myself with. This is reality, the mess of my people, my family, my forefathers, the people I'm actually related to. And yet, again, he's come specifically to save us from this, to save us from sin which is the cause of the mess uh, in, in, in Jewish thought and I would argue in our world today as well. Yeah, so there's definitely this, this balance or maybe this, this clear differentiation between, between some of us. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. So I, I, thank you for your thoughts. And it sounds like we're processing this. And, and again, there's a lot more to think about. But I think it's important for us to, again, bring this to the personal level, right? To bring it to our real-life situations. Um, I don't know about you, but I am reminded about how messy my life is and my family's life is during this holiday season. Uh, and maybe you are too. Um, I know for me, I'm around way more family members than normal in this time. And as a result, you know, whether it be through the gossiping that happens or through the reality of things we face, the past we look at, um, a lot of challenging things are brought to the table for me. Some of it has to do with 
sexual relationships, like it was in Jesus' lineage. Some of it has to do with people just doing bad things in our family, like literally just like wicked and evil things. Um, some of it has to do with this political time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have been keeping up with the impeachment thing, and I'm just like, what is going on in our country? Like, what are facts? What are not facts? Like, I'm just like, this is crazy. And of course, some of us are caught up with the real challenges of economy. And this is a very difficult time for us. You're trying to look at your year-end balance. You're trying to wonder how rent's going to come as the year comes to an end. You want to get gifts, like Jenny was saying, but you look at your balance. You're like, how is this even supposed to make sense? And yet, this is the world that God comes in. This is the life that God wants to come into. Your life right now is actually what God wants to come into. And God wants to say, you know what? I do have a way out of this. It's going to be a little uncomfortable at first. It's not going to be what you think at first. It's going to deal, first of all, with some of your issues, with your sin. Yeah, you can say Uncle So-and-so is such a pervert or whatever. But what about you, Yukon? You can say Auntie So-and-so is such a gossiper. But what about you, Yukon? And God wants to come and begin to do something in us and change us and transform us. And he'll take care of some other things. Don't worry. Jesus tells us time and time again that the rulers in our world, they'll have to face judgment too. Our Congress, our president, they'll have to face God on judgment day. We don't have to worry about too much of that. What makes... What might God be inviting you and I into in this Christmas season? What kind of change? What kind of transformation? I'm going to invite up the musicians again. And as they um, just guide us in a final moment of prayer and reflection, I want us to just answer that simple question that I just asked. What is God inviting you into in this Christmas season? What kind of change is he inviting you into personally? Is there something in your life that you know you need to get right with God, that you need to get right with someone else? Does that involve perhaps some guilt you're carrying around? Does it involve some anger, perhaps? Does it involve some anxiety? Jesus is wanting us to surrender that over to him. He came, right, to save us from that stuff. But he can't save us from that if we're holding on. He's inviting us to say, yeah, Jesus, here it is. Please save this. Save me from this. Please show me a way out of this. Please come deal with me, my family, whatever systems I'm involved in. Show me the way. Can you take a final moment of prayer with me? You know, this morning, uh, we may have put our finger on some things that burden us in this room. The messes of our world.
the messiness of family, the messiness of the politics, the economy that faces us, the messiness within our own hearts. Can I just invite us, if we haven't yet already, to take a moment and one by one just surrender those areas of mess over to Jesus. He has come to save us from our sins. And as he saves us, the path will be, the path forward can be challenging. It probably will be. But he promises, as in this story, that he will be with us. Did you catch the other name of Jesus in this story? The name Emmanuel. This biographer, Matthew, wants us to learn a lot about names. So it's important that we also understand that name. That he will be with us in the midst of this. So God, we come before you and we give you these things. And again, we thank you that you're not this God who listens to us from a distance, but you've come and to be right in the midst of our mess. And even as we surrender things to you, even as you save us from things, you say you will be with us because the reality is we need you to be with us even as this process moves forward. It is not easy to surrender. There are consequences sometimes that are hard to deal with. But we thank you that you are with us. And so would you guide us today? And you would you guide us through this season as we come to you honestly with all that we're going through. Thank you for this Christmas season to remember a God who is here, a God who does give joy even in the midst of the mess. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.